Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The Cosmic Circle, the official podcast of The Cosmic Circus. On today's episode, we will be discussing a topic that is near and dear to my heart, queer content in film and television, both past, present, and hopefully future. My name is Brian Kitson, head writer at The Cosmic Circus, and joining me today are Izzy Friedman and Uday Kataria. How are we doing, you two? Hi, everyone. This is Uday. Um, I'm doing great today. How are you? Hi, uh, this is Izzy. I'm also doing great. Happy to be here. Glad to talk about this. A very important topic that I have a lot of thoughts about. Thank you so much for joining us. Uday, always, it's a pleasure to have you. But Izzy, we're so excited to have you on this one. It's such a special topic because um, this is, you know, a community that we're all a part of and that we are, you know, hopefully getting representation for. But, you know, before we can talk about where we are currently, I think sometimes we have to go back and look at where we've been. So starting with you, Uday, what is your earliest a memory of queer content in film and television you know were you young were you you know a teenager what was the show and how did it feel to you um I think I was like almost a teenager because I think I was 11 or 12 I was watching How I Met Your Mother and I think it was Barney's stepbrother being gay was probably the first I saw of that kind of content on screen um I don't really know that I felt a certain way about it. I didn't know that I was gay at the time. Um, mm-hmm. But I did think that it was like, I, I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. Like it just felt kind of normal, I guess, which is the goal. Right. So. Right. You know, what's interesting about that show that too, is that it featured, you know, Neil Patrick Harris, who is gay, but he was playing a straight role. And so like the fact that they had some kind of representation, I wonder if it, was better than maybe some of the other ones because they had someone of such, you know, uh, stature in our community to be a part of um, the TV show. So, I mean, maybe that's something to think about. All right, Izzy, what was your oldest memory? All right, I actually have two, but one of them was like an unofficial little YouTube series that was just about lesbian vampires. Yes. <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. It was like one of those adaptations when people were doing all the classics, but as vlogs, um, mm-hmm. they were doing like Carmilla. And yes. he was talking about how she had a crush on a person named Danny. And I was like, Danny, who's he? And she shows up and she's a girl. And it was, it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. And that was my first positive experience where okay. I, I, I kept showing it to all of my friends and being like, you think that Danny's a boy. It's not a boy. She's a girl. I was so excited. And all my friends were like, yeah, cool. Like they didn't get why it was insane for me. Uh, But before that, it was one of those things I didn't really think about till later. Um, It was the show Friends, uh, which upon rewatching, I realized the issues that are there with the show Friends. But um, when I was little, all I saw was there are two girls getting married. That's crazy. and it it was it was a big thing for me, uh, even though I didn't know why I didn't like put two and two together at all. And then rewatching it, I was like, oh, in that scene, they don't even really kiss. And the whole point of their relationship is to kind of make fun of Ross's masculinity. So that's mm-hmm. maybe not great. Uh, so rewatching it kind of ruined the initial childhood joy of it. But it was important for me at the time. I feel like that is speaks on the whole topic of looking back at where we kind of have come with this uh uh, representation is that it just uh it doesn't hold up as it once did but you unlocked a core memory because i remember watching faking it and then carmela with my friend every week in like my college years so i totally forgot about that show until you mentioned that that was a great one 
it also ended bad i'm pretty sure but like it was great it also i i think if it ended bad my brain blocked that out all i remember <laughs> is cool vampire lady and they kiss in a dorm room let's go <laughs> you know that's fantastic and my earliest memories of seeing a gay man on television and film i've had i have two of them and one of them is the stereotypical desperate housewives which i feel like was just the epitome of every stereotype that has ever existed for any kind of suburban mom and gay man and there was the couple who they moved in one was i think he was a a doctor but the other one was like a stay-at-home dog dad and it was just very typical messiness and like that's what you saw a lot on television i remember growing up i remember being in high school and seeing that and thinking like wow that's really doesn't feel great um and at the time i wasn't out yet i didn't i don't even think i was very cognizant of my own sexuality at the time um but it just didn't feel like great it felt like that pit in the stomach something felt wrong um the other one was actually the stepford wives and i don't know if either one of you have seen the film with nicole kidman but one of the okay so one of the characters who played one of the gay men in desperate housewives actually played one of the gay men in stepford wives and it was the same stereotype where one was a politician the other one was the loud obnoxious gossip that was causing trouble and you know, liked Broadway and wore really strong, vibrant colors and was the one that got changed to be a Stepford wife. And because the other one didn't like that, he wanted him to be more closeted and he wanted him to be more, you know, uh, not as flamboyant. So it, it was very interesting that those two really stick out to me um, as to where we kind of were started. And I think, see with what you said too, with friends, like, it doesn't hold up, you know, it doesn't feel great. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> but it's all the sort of things where I feel like at the time, all this media was either using queerness as the butt of a joke mm -hmm. um, in a way that didn't quite register for me at the time because I still thought, I didn't know I was queer. So I thought I was part of the joke that we were laughing at. Mm -hmm. And then yes. in realizing that, oh, the butt of the joke is me was not great. <laughs> I think that the, it's perfectly highlighted too in the film, The Perfect Man, which I put on the list because I'm a Hilary Duff fan and sad that her show just got canceled. But um, in The Perfect Man, they use one of the guys from Queer Eye in it, but he is very much the, he's a bartender, but he's very much the stereotypical, everybody's laughing at him. He's the comedic role of, you know, the construction workers are coming into the bar and are ordering drinks and he's trying to flirt with them all. And it, it, it's definitely problematic in that way. Uday, what do you do you think that like looking back, was there a, a model of what was maybe like a good queer representation growing up, or even like I guess in your younger years or pr anything prior to what's on currently or recently in the past on television and film? I really feel like like how I met your mother is the only example that I can kind of think of. And obviously okay. like the queer representation on that show was not um really it was it wasn't like super explicit like it, it was in a couple of episodes right um but i'm trying to think of like where else i saw queer representation like when i was younger and i feel like i feel like until i started getting into like the cw superhero shows like arrow i didn't really see any of it you didn't um, watch glee <laughs> i tried watching glee watch i watched like glee. the first half of <clears throat> season 1 and I don't remember a single thing, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I've got I've got no idea what happened in Glee. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like I knew there was a gay character in Glee, but I just didn't 
think about it that much, you know? And there was Santana Lopez, The Blueprint. Light of my I, life. See, see, I never even got that far into the show. Like, yeah. What's What's interesting about Glee is that, at least from my perspective, that they did really well with Santana and like, I want to say like like lesbian representation, but I feel like there was parts of like Blaine and Kurt and there was a football player that was a bully that ended up being gay. There was like some of those that were just very like, eh, I don't know about this. I would agree with that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, they did pretty good with the lesbians, but then with anything I felt like, and it was maybe this is just because Kurt was the first queer character that they introduced. Kurt mm-hmm. for me felt like, a gay character that's written for straight people mm-hmm. in a sense of like this is what at the time people could understand a gay character being and I think he was very um important at the time absolutely and I think that their relationship was incredibly important at the time and some of my friends that was like the first that was their first queer experience on tv was seeing that but yeah watching it again is well it does the glee thing where every single person kind of has their tiny little minority and they bring it up constantly. And there's even the joke, like we're all a minority. We're in the glee club. Like they're kind of at themselves, but yeah, parts of that don't hold up. No, absolutely. And I think that that show came out when I was a soft, I might've been a senior in high school and it was the, like the epitome of why I didn't want to come out in high school because like, at the beginning, Kurt's bullied for being gay and, you know, he's just a gay kid. And that was like his whole identity. And I was just like, listen, I I was valedictorian in my school and I was in all the smart classes. And like, I didn't want to be known as just the gay kid because of that. And I think that that's going to tie into something a little bit later when we talk about Heartstopper, because that comes up quite a bit of just being the gay kid who's bullied for being gay. And um, that was really scary back in the day because we didn't have positive as positive representations of um queerness and i think that kind of goes with rent too i don't have either of you seen rent many times i was a theater kid growing up i'm queer <laughs> of course <laughs> i i have not seen rent that's okay Ooh. well i think rent's just like while it's very his, like i want to say like it's, it's representative of like the history the, the the time period that it was from it was also very it's very sad to watch because it just feel makes gayness feel so dismal but also i mean adina menzel kills it in that film so i guess that's (laughs) i mean yeah i as a queer theater kid growing up rent was kind of my gospel for the song take me or leave me alone Mm -hmm. where it's these two women singing at each other and they're like that one line where it's like women what is it about them can't live with them or without them and i was like yeah having never dated anyone um (laughs) (laughs) but um I do think obviously watching again, there's a little bit like, of course it's the bisexual one who cheats on everybody and everything like that. Um, But it was, again, important for me to watch growing up. But yeah, I feel like in general, when there was queer content that was made for queer people or it felt like that more, um, it was really sad. Mm -hmm. There was not a lot of happy queerness um, when it did feel like something that could be kind of relatable um, and not mm-hmm. just that we're trying to explain gayness to you. It's just here. Um, mm-hmm. It was still like, and everyone dies in the end because that's what happened. Wasn't there a movie called like Philadelphia, which is about a gay man with AIDS who ends up dying in the end? And that was like, someone won an Academy Award for that. Like it's, I think it was Tom Hanks. Uh, 
and that was like the 90s and that was like the epitome of like that was what people knew and then we had things like Brokeback Mountain which is also just not great you know yeah um but was there anything I guess from our you know childhood our younger years that felt hopeful that like like leading up to where we are currently I feel like well it depends on hopeful because there was a lot of stuff that I don't think was hopeful that I made hopeful okay I love that like because I mean I have always I grew up on fan fiction I've always read fan fiction and so if something was upsetting if the gay people died at the end if I watched Buffy and her girlfriend died I would just open I would search it up online and be like somebody wrote this where it didn't happen like that (laughs) and I that would be my escape so I wouldn't make it better representation for me I love that because the idea is that there was our community out there that was attempting to make it like rectify the problems you know um one of the tropes that we run into all the time and the show that's coming to mind is oh it was on sci-fi but it's you know the lesbian always gets shot or dies you know like um why not Earp? and like you know when you think about things like that and that was always the running thing but there were tons of people who went out and they wrote stories that filled in those gaps or changed the story because they needed the representation or they needed the happy ending that we weren't getting yeah, speaking of the kill your gays trope, I guess I'd like to change my answer from How I Met Your Mother to Pretty Little Liars because you just oh. made me remember that Pretty Little Liars had like the most LGBT characters on television, I think, at the time. And it also holds the record for killing the most LGBT characters. Um, or at least it did back in like 2018. But yeah, I watched like I was watching a lot of like uh of Pretty Little Liars, like you know, eighth grade, ninth grade. Mm-hmm. Um and that show definitely had a lot of queer representation, I think, with varying degrees of success. What part, Uda, do you think was, like, I guess, which character sticks out as being, like, successful to you? I mean, I have one in mind who I think it is, but I want to know who you think it is. It's It's been a while. Like, that, that's, what, that's why it took me so long to think of Pretty Little Liars. Um, it's but I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think Emily was good representation. And then I'd say Allison was bad representation. Yes. Yeah, because, 100%. Yeah, Allison just, like, I, I mean, I honestly just feel like she used her sexuality to manipulate everyone around her, so it felt very disingenuous than when she mm-hmm. got with Emily. Like, I, like, sure, it was mm, cute having them together or whatever, but just the way it all happened felt very icky, but I don't mm-hmm. think that, you know, you really felt like that at other times with Emily, and then even with characters like Maya, who everyone is still upset about being killed off. But she shouldn't have been killed off. She shouldn't have been. Absolutely. That was so sad. That was such a sad voice, Uday. Thank you. Um, but no, I think you're right. That one used a lot of stereotypes. And sometimes it did well. And sometimes it did not. And you're right. Emily is a fine example of like how to do it right. I don't remember a whole lot from that show. But didn't they have... Wasn't the plot twist at the end that there was one of the A's and she was a trans girl? Yes, the main A. The main A was a trans girl who was like one of their uh, siblings who transitioned into a woman. And that was like the big plot twist. I think that that was the first time that I had seen a trans character in media in general. And I didn't even fully follow the show. I just saw like a clip of it and went, whoa. But I do remember being kind of like, "Mm, I don't know if that's great. Because it was like 
the biggest villain in the show happens to be a trans woman. And I was like, I don't know if that is the sleigh that you guys think it is for representation. Well, that's why Pretty Little Liars, I think, is so interesting because I think it did a lot of good for representation. But then you also have situations like that where, I mean, I think that is also the first time I saw a transgender character have any kind of significant role in any media. And and yeah, to make her the twist villain and then to make the fact that she's transgender, like she's only transgender so you can have a twist. She's only transgender because they told us at the end of season five that Allison has a secret brother, but then you want it to be a character that's been on the show since season three, so you make her transgender. And so that kind of stuff doesn't feel great. And that also goes with how Pretty Little Liars like killed off all of its LGBT characters. Yeah. I totally... So I stopped watching season five and I missed this drama. This is... How could you? Okay, listen, season five is when... Season five is when they stopped caring about being coherent and they just started doing shit for fun. And that's when it got real good. I got to the part where they got to New York and they pushed someone off of a building and I was like, why am I doing this anymore? And I stopped. But <laughs> No, that's the start of season five. There was so yeah. much. Stuff. I stopped recording at that moment. Was it Spencer? Was it Spencer? That was the character no, no, no. that... C.C. Oh. Drake was Allison's sister. That She was transgender. Was she? Yes. Yeah. Um, and then she was immediately murdered in the next episode after being revealed as A. And then, um, oh my god, and then Allison's mom had a secret twin, and that secret twin had sex with Spencer's dad, and then she gave birth to secret twins. And so Spencer's twin was the final A. I remember that part, so that's why I was like trying to connect the dots, like, is this connected? But that's also kind of like making the trans character a villain like like who approved that like they always do it as it's some sort of twist right Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't see it coming it's always like this is a secretive devious person that's hiding something for you or like the transition is somehow either what makes them very tragic or what makes them like a bad person i remember and i didn't fully watch the show it was just little clips uh of seeing I think there was a character called Max from the L word um, who he was a trans man and transitioned. And the whole thing, it was very turfy. It was just sort of like women biologically good, men biologically bad. You could just be a butch, but instead you are turning your back on womanhood and taking testosterone, which is making you this angry monster. It was not great. Um, And so it's just this inherent sort of thing of like, you can transition, but it's not a great thing and it'll either lead to your death or you being the villain that's it (laughs) and that i think that like that's very formative when you're growing up like we did and i think that's one of the things why i'm excited for where we're at now because kids our age are gonna have hopefully better representation um because it always was like a plot point or a plot device if it was used and i mean I'm surprised. I'm like, I'm I'm not surprised, but at the same time, I'm shocked that I made it into like a show that was on ABC Family. You know, like that was even a plot point. Well, yeah. uh, well, on the topic of like a transgender character being the villain in Pretty Little Liars, I didn't think it was like a negative portrayal of transgender people. And but I mean, it, it was just the fact that the character being transgender, it was her tragic backstory, Yeah, you know? And so that's where I feel like 
it's just kind of flawed in in the concept. Like I think it was executed well. I think it was like nuanced enough where you still felt bad for the character while but like you obviously see that that can't excuse like the years of torture she's putting four high schoolers through. <laughs> um and again, I feel like you know her tragic backstory is that she was locked up in like a psychiatric ward because she was transgender and I feel like that tracks for the like time period and stuff that they were dealing with. Um but yeah, I just I, I also see the argument of like why why put that negativity in there? Because it is just like the character was just transgender to be like a gotcha to add another plot mm-hmm. twist. And it's like, maybe representation shouldn't be used like just for cheap plot twists. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that also kind of leans to the idea of, well, as like queer baiting, you know, we, we have lots of shows where we've been queer baited. The one that's coming to mind specifically is once upon a time where oh we my- had, Yes, Emma Swan and the Evil Queen, and that show was coded to be. They haunted me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so what do you do? You remember watching shows and being like, "This is a hundred percent queer baiting," and and thinking anything about it or film? It doesn't have to be. Oh my god! I mean, so many show I've ever watched is kind of the thing. Cause I was thinking, like, what is the one where she was a succubus? Uh, Lost Girl? Like, that was also extremely queer-baited. Right. I'm trying to think of some. I mean, the one that comes to mind of the ones that my friends always bring up to me, they try to sort of fix at the end in the most insane sort of ending I've ever seen, is Supernatural. <laughs> where yes. they're dating Cass, and they tease at them sort of having a thing for each other for seasons and seasons and seasons. And they talk about it in interviews and they use it as a marketing tactic. Cause I think that's the most important thing in queer baiting mm-hmm. is when you use it as a marketing tactic to bring in a queer audience and then yeah. you don't commit to that, right? And then at the end, they did follow through by having him confess his love for Dean and then go to mega super hell forever. <laughs> yes, this is a p- perfect example. And like that kept queer viewers going waiting and then it dropped the ball that one dropped a hardcore how again this was only a, a what two years ago not even that the show ended and this is the reality of the situation i mean and stuff queer. like that sticks with you too like when i'm yeah. watching these current shows that are explicitly queer in this wonderful way i'll be watching them and i'll still feel like but is it but is it actually? Because I feel like it is. But is it actually? And then like something needs to happen for it to be like, okay, I can rest easy. It is gay. <laughs> but I feel I feel crazy sometimes watching these shows because it can be so clear to me and I still won't know because it has to be the most explicit thing in the universe or else it may not happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a great transition into like, let's talk about like the recent past, like Supernatural or the current, you know, we have lots of great shows. Actually, Izzy, I'm going to start with you because you brought up a great point in our pre-show where you talked about First Kill and you brought up Killing Eve, which was not on our list, but it should have been because that was a recent show that had huge implications of possible queer baiting at first and then leading into being actually queer and like Take your take take it away. I just want to I want to hand you the reins of this. I have things to say about Killing Eve because the first season, the first few seasons were fantastic, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's 
I, I said it before we started recording. It is Jodie Comer and Sandra Oh in a psychosexual battle of wills. What more could you ask for, right? It's this sort of, I, I love queer media that is made by queer people for queer people in the sense where it gets to be kind of messy and weird. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to explain, you never have to turn to the camera and be like, and it's okay that they are gay, which I mean, I think that there is a time and a place for media like that. And I think it's fantastic. But I also love ones where it's just like, these women are messy and they will kiss each other. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, <laughs> watching that first season, I was like, I feel like this is queer, but am I crazy? Um, and then you get to the end and they have this amazing scene and you're like, oh, oh, they are. This is fantastic. She's like, I think about you all the time. They have this great thing and they don't even have to kiss, but I was still certain it was a queer show and it continues like that. And it's great. And there's all this subtle queerness packed throughout the show. It talks a little bit about sexual fluidity. Um, Mm -hmm. Eve never like explicitly labels herself, but she sort of discovers her queerness throughout it. It's wonderful. And then you get to season four and I don't know how a, a lesbian wrote this season, but she did, um, <laughs> where it just throws out so much of the characterization out the window, first of all. Like, just writing-wise, it is worse than the seasons that predate it. But then, out of nowhere, out of the show that was allowed to be weird and queer in this wonderful way, it goes, actually, she dies at the end. But it's, don't worry, it's it's good, because she killed people, so this is morally fine. Like, it's trying to be a... She's, the writer said in interviews, she was like, don't worry, Eve at the end, she's like in relief that this period of her time is over because this lady died. And everyone's like, that's not what the show is about. The show was about this weird connection that they had and this queerness mm-hmm. that they shared together. And you just totally ruined it. It felt like a betrayal of the entire series, which was felt so progressive and felt like such a huge step forward. And so it, that's part of the reason when I watch modern shows, I st- even if it is queer, I still get nervous. Like, is it gonna be queer in a safe way? Do I still, is this something that we still get to Mm -hmm. celebrate or is it going to just be like taken away? I totally agree with that. I remember watching that show and I actually did not watch it. And when it aired, I had recorded it. um, And then me and Max were going to watch it. And then like middle of breakup, we didn't end up watching it. So I just like, it sat on the DVR for a little bit. And my one (laughs) friend was just like, you have to watch the show. There's something different about this. And I said, okay. And I watched, I binged that first season and I was like, I don't think I've seen anything like this up to this point. Like there was nothing that felt so that it, the plot wasn't them being queer, but queer was a part of the plot. If that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> and I think that that was so like incredibly important. And like, it felt like I was like, okay, we're being seen a little bit. And then season four happened and I was like, never mind, We're not being seen. There is no, there, there is no visibility for this at all. But, but Uri, this makes me think to you, because you mentioned the Arrowverse kind of being like this first entry, you know, of like maybe positive or just like representation. What is sticking out to you about the Arrowverse and its representation of, of queerness? Um, well, I'll, I'll amend the Arrowverse to being second now that I remembered that Pretty Little Liars existed. Um, <laughs> Sorry, correct. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think that like Sarah Lance... I feel like she was done pretty well. Um, yes. Yeah, like, I don't really recall having any complaints with how, like, Sarah's sexuality was handled, and she's the person that comes to mind the most. Um, honestly, I, I feel like I'm really struggling to remember the things that have happened in these TV shows. Um, oh, I think you're right, though. Like, Sarah Lance is fantastic, especially in Legends of Tomorrow, when she kind of had to, like, got out of the shadow of Arrow 
if oh, she yeah. could just be queer. Um, and what was her wife's name? I can't think of. Um, does she I can't think of her that, that that girl Ava? Ava, yes, she okay. ends up marrying I, Ava. I, I never fin- yeah, I never finished Legends of Tomorrow. But another great one is actually Supergirl. Um, and not Supergirl oh, yeah. herself, but we have Alex, her sister, and we have Dreamer, which was like really cool to see a, a trans individual as a superhero, and one that actually made a bigger transition from the TV show to comics and comics to TV show. Like after being in the show, they started having, you know, giving her her own comic run. And I believe the actress was actually involved in it. And I, I'm going to asterisk that because I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure she was involved with actually making the comic and it was received really well. And that was just like such a normal, I don't even think that they mentioned that she was quote unquote trans. I just knew it because I, I behind the scenes following things and well, not, not for a while, I should say they mentioned it, but like it, it was yeah, not like that, off the bat. That's what I wanted to point out. I did hear, you know, that there was a trans superhero appearing in Supergirl. And I believe Dreamer is the first transgender superhero on mm-hmm. any kind of screen. Right. And um, I think so. Yeah. And so I did wonder if that was going to be acknowledged in the show, but I think it took like, it took at least one season, maybe like yes. a season and a half or two seasons. And then when it was brought up, I thought it was brought up in like a very natural way. Um, because the other thing when we're talking about queer representation is like homophobia, transphobia. Um, that's something that I always like realized with Shit's Creek is that uh, like Dan Levy said, like there would never be homophobia depicted on Shit's Creek because he just wanted it to be a safe space mm-hmm. which i completely understand and i do like that a lot but i think pretty much mo- most other like queer most other shows or movies with queer representation i think always like touch on homophobia at least a little bit and in dreamer's case she was first brought up as being transgender because it turns out that her sister didn't actually like see her as a woman um mm-hmm. because cuz the it was an episode where it was like the first woman in their family gets like the dreaming powers or whatever, like the Mm -hmm. eldest, the eldest daughter gets the dreaming powers and her sister was older than her and her sister had always supported her transition, but she didn't get the dreaming powers. Dreamer got the powers. And then that, and then it came out that like her sister thought she wasn't a real woman and she didn't deserve them because she transitioned. And so I thought that that was, a very interesting way to to touch on dreamer being transgender for the first time and i think it was done very well because in that episode i was like oh like is this really where we're going and it was and i feel like that is accurate to real life where you can have someone that supports you but then it turns out that they don't actually and you know what's interesting too is i'm pretty sure that they had the actress involved in like that storyline specifically and like making sure it was authentic for like her experiences or just like like her perspective was input on this and i think that was really good too because there's not always a great behind the scenes representation too you know where people just write these stories and it could be a straight person writing this it could be a cisgender person writing this and they don't always understand the the experiences that we bring to this table um did you izzy did you watch supergirl at all and see any of this I did, well, I did that sort of thing where I absorbed it through osmosis through my Tumblr feed. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I, I I always wanted to get into it and I just never found the time, but it seemed very fun. Um, 
but I just wanted, I did want to say something about um, how you talked about how some sh queer shows talk about homophobia and some don't, because I think that that is something important to touch on, a especially if it is a queer person making that decision or not. Like you mentioned, like a trans actress maybe being involved in the storyline and figuring out how to depict that, that versus Dan Levy, who is a queer person, deciding not to have that in there and have it be sort of a safe space. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think a lot about how I mean, coming from this earlier period, we talked about with all, it was representation. Was it good representation? Who's to say? Um, into this time where we now have much more mainstream queer content being made, right? I mean, queer content has always been being made. It's just been more indie, more low key, or like housewives writing fan fiction and sending it to each other in the mm -hmm. 60s for Star Trek. Yes. Or like that, right? Um, but now that we have this mainstream stuff that's being promoted, it feels very much like we're trying to fill in this gap, right? Cishet mm -hmm. people have had so much cinema for them going for so long that they have all sorts of stuff that they want to see. And we are currently kind of running to catch up with that, which is why I feel like almost every single show that I see, somebody goes, this is great, but I kind of wish we had a show like this instead, right? Like, Heartstopper is great, but I wish we had something less wholesome and more adult. Or this this adult show was great, but I wish we had something more wholesome like Heartstopper. I wish we had something that did address homophobia or something that didn't, right? And it just feels mm -hmm. like we're just sort of racing to fill up this void of, of content that we all want. And so what, I think that all, all of it is important because it's either like an escape or it's a um, it, it hits home and it's an accurate depiction. I just think that that's something really interesting to look at the way that we are just trying to catch up in terms of what we all want to see. You know, what's interesting about that is you're hundred percent correct. And there was actually a line in Heartstoppers, which we'll talk a little bit more as we go down the list, but there's a line in Heartstoppers where uh, in season two, two of the teachers are talking and the one teacher is just like, well, we've all kind of been there. You know, we've all went and made out with the boy down the street, you know? And the one guy said, well, when you don't come out in terms of your sexuality until the mid twenties, you tend to miss out on all those beautiful gay teen experiences. And I remember, I told you both in the group chat, I was like watching it and I was sad. And I was like, why am I sad? And like, that was the key component there was, I was sad because I, we didn't have this. And now I'm like, I want more of it. And I want it quickly. I like, I don't want to wait. And I don't know how many queer books I've bought on Amazon too much for my credit card, just because I need to fill that my own personal void. And I need people to fill that void for me. And like, I need that content. So I think that like you're 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 on the spot here. It's just there is a gigantic void that needs to be filled. Absolutely. And we're, and we're trying to do that. And you I know, know, we've had okay. Oh, I, I was just gonna say, I also think it's great that now we don't have to just take anything. We can choose based off of personal taste too. Like there's enough mm -hmm. shows that if I watch a show that is queer, but I just don't like it for writing reasons or something, I don't have to watch it. There's other things. Which brings me to the one of the things on our list is this movie that came out last year called Bros. And I was like, I'm going to watch this for this podcast. And I don't know if either one of you watched it. And I got about through 20 minutes and I said, no, this is not for me. Like, this is this is for somebody else, but this is not for me. Um, it was I not great. didn't watch it for the sole reason. It was promoted like crazy on my Twitter. Yes. I liked one single ad of it and it kept the account kept adding me being like, do you want to see bros? I don't want to see bros. <laughs> and part of it was because I heard from a bunch of queer people being like, I watched it and it didn't feel like it was for me. It felt like I, I heard a bunch of people say that it felt like a movie for straight people about mm. gay people. And I feel yeah, like I that's a big, important distinction. Like 
stuff that's supposed to explain gay people to an audience versus gay people are in this. Right. You know, you know in the first 20 minutes, I will just say this. There was the main character hooked up with two, I think it was three people off a of grinder and explained to straight people what grinder was. And then it explained, you know, like gays are loud and they are messy and they get involved and they don't have, they have attachment issues. And, and I was just like, and by the time I was like, wow, man, 20 minutes, we've had every single stereotype. I'm embarrassed to watch it with my family. Like we're turning this off. And so like, I think like, like you said, we can pick and choose because while that isn't good, we have things like love simon i liked that one there's the spinoff love victor i haven't seen it but there are shows that have these representations that are that you can pick it depending on your preference because we don't have to just be starving for that one film that comes out every 20 years right what is i say what is a current maybe show or recent show that we found ourselves obsessed with because it felt maybe like it hit a certain uh, uh, heart chord, you know, or it it just felt like we were finally seen. Um, and I'm actually gonna start this one because Red, White, and Royal Blue did this for me, but also the Heartstoppers, and for two different reasons. Um, for Red, White, and Royal Blue, when the trailer came out, I was like, I'm gonna read this book. It's been out for a while, and I read the book, and I was like, okay, it's a, it's a little messy, but I'm I'm here for it. I'm gonna see the movie. And when I got to see the movie early, thanks to uh, uh, through a screener. I was obsessed. And the thing that I was obsessed about was that I finally felt like I was watching a movie where I was being represented. I grew up in a family where we watched Hallmark movies and every single one is between a straight man and a straight woman. And they go to a hometown. And this one was just about, this was such a real story and it was so vibrant, but also, you know, while it was exaggerated because they're the president's son and, you know, the, the prince of uh, the UK, you know, of England, they were real people and they had real stories and they had real feelings. And I was just like, Oh, I was seen. And I was obsessed. I did not stop talking about the film for weeks until I watched Heartstoppers, And then I stopped talking about it. But Uday, what is a show that maybe you are film that you just are currently obsessed with that has queer representation or that like you're watching it because of that. Um, I quite liked red, white and Royal blue as well. Uh, I never do this, but unfortunately, I did not read the book before watching the movie, and I regret that decision more and more every day of my life. I will never be making that mistake again. Um, yeah, Fair. but I, I did like the movie. I've seen it three times. Um, I saw it like I watched it twice opening weekend, and I feel like the reason why I like it so much, uh, like I, de I definitely have you know little gripes with the movie. I think it could have been a little bit better. I think one of the two people can't act for shit. Um, but I do think that it was just really nice seeing adults be gay because Love, Simon is great. Love, Victor was decent the first season that I saw of it. But personally, I have no interest whatsoever in watching Heartstopper because I'm just tired of like teeny bopper gay like high schoolers. And I feel like if I was still in high school, I'd really be loving Heartstopper. But now that I'm not in high school and I've seen Love, Simon and Love, Victor, I'm kind of fine without it. Um, and I really don't feel any need to watch it. And that kind of goes um, to that comment about, you know, we can pick and choose what we want to watch because now there is more than just one thing. Because, yeah, if Heartstopper was the only LGBT content that had released since Love, Simon, um, maybe I, I probably would be watching it. But, yeah, I feel like there is choice. And so I don't. So I feel comfortable skipping it. You know, I think it's interesting that you, well, first off, I have to ask you, who does, who, who do you feel can't act? Or you just, you can tell me later. Cause like, I need to know. Cause I'm like, 
like like let's be honest one one of them lines one of them delivered lines like they were reading off a script and as twitter said one of them acted like he was in pride and prejudice okay so yeah, i know where I think, we stand that's fine yeah um what's interesting about heartstoppers is that while it felt juvenile when i first started watching it it did not feel that way as soon as i got into like episode three it no longer felt like they were high schoolers like even though there are high schoolers it felt like just that like young love that like we all craved to be in high school and it made me just have like a heartache it did not make me feel like i was watching a teenage show which i think was is really good for the writing that they've done whoever the writing team is behind it nailed what it was like to be a teenager and be in love and that in of itself i'm not again you can pick and choose i'm never gonna force you to watch it i just connected with that part yeah um, i i understand what you're saying but also that is kind of why i'm also not interested in watching it because like fine. if it's gonna make me depressed about the fact that i didn't have a young love like that in high school it's like i already have love simon and love victor which are like not as intense i think i think heartstopper is much more like first love whereas love simon and love victor are more like discovering your sexuality and like dating someone for the first time um but it's like yeah i just i'm not really interested in watching heartstopper because i have other like gay high school content and and again like now that i'm an adult i'm like let's let's move forward instead of looking back i definitely understand you on the also sometimes to watch content it can be kind of sad about like oh this is something maybe i missed out on and so i don't want to watch it um but i also do get you on um i love like little high school queer romances mm -hmm. i also really like adult stuff um because you know i can relate to it slightly more um and i also feel like it is slightly more it is often slightly less about being queer and more about being vampires um <laughs> or something like that where it's like, um, I mean, a show that I've been thinking about a lot. I mean, I've been thinking about a lot of vampire shows lately. Mm -hmm. Okay, we got What We Do in the Shadows. We got yes. Interviews with a Vampire. Mm -hmm. You mentioned First Kill, right? Um, the gays own vampires at this point. Um, and we, have, we have property. Exactly. And those are all really weird shows, which I mm -hmm. personally really like i like weird gothic romances or uh, like a little comedy about a bunch of vampires who are all friends and maybe dating and maybe have sex sometimes living in a giant mansion together and they're hijinks all of that is great for me um mm -hmm. and i honestly I, I i love content that is about being queer and i think that's so important but i also love it when it's just sort of around it just sort of exists um yes. like how it's interview with a vampire they're all queer and they've been in uh, season five they bring it up a little bit more and they have this really funny little pride section where one of the characters is just holding a sign that says gay man on it <laughs> in this little <laughs> pride parade which is great um, but it's it exists and they're all queer and there are jokes but the butt of the joke is never like their identities it, mm -hmm. it manages to do gay jokes in a way where the joke is not at their expense which i love um oh. I do love that about what we do in the shadows because it's just like it's like there and it's like just like part of the atmosphere, but you're never just like feel like you're being like being over the head by like the fact that they're all just different forms of being queer, you know? Yeah. I think that there's something really important about something like Heartstopper where he does mm. say multiple times, I am bisexual, because that's the thing people do, where it's if you're a guy and you just start dating another guy, people are like, So you're gay. Mm -hmm. And they don't make any distinction and so stuff like that is definitely important but I also like stuff where it's just 
it can just be around. Um, one of the things that I like about one of the shows that's on our list, uh, Good Omens, which has season two, which I am continually screaming about, is that <laughs> nobody ever like uh, nobody ever like stops and goes, "This is exactly what I am." There is no homophobia really in this show. It just is around. Um, Neil Gaiman spoke on Twitter about how the big plot one of the big plot lines in season two is that they're trying to sort of get these two women together and then it sort of mm -hmm. also gets them together right but one of the women has this partner named Lindsay who was never gendered because Neil Gaiman was just like it's just not important whether she was dating a man or a woman or a non-binary person she's gonna date this other woman eventually but that's just sort of that can just be around I like that that was good for me <laughs> you know I did not watch Good Omens the first season when it came out um i had just missed it there was like during the period of time where there was just like so much content coming out um but when season two was coming out you know lizzie needed someone to cover it so i was like yeah i'll watch it i can watch the first season and so i watched it with my mom and we were watching the first season and i was like there is definitely some queerness going on but they're like not talking about it which is like is great and also just like am i am i being queer baited and stuff and then season two happened and i wish i could find the message it was it, it was in a message with with lizzie and i'm just like screaming and cat saying oh my god they did it and it was great but it wasn't a big deal either it was just they were in love and that's one of the reasons i religiously follow neil gaiman's tumblr where he talks about this and that's one of the reasons why he had them kiss is because he talks about how in season one he wrote it as a love story and the original book he uh he wrote with terry pratchett it wasn't intended that way but when he made it into a TV show, he was like, I want to explore this. I want to make this a plot line. Let's have these two characters. Another cool thing is that since they're like an angel and a demon, he's like, they're not actually men. They're just man shaped. Right? right. So they're kind of just, they're like an angel and a demon. That's their gender. Right. So it's a queer relationship, but he's part of the reason why people are like, are we being queer baited is because they were like, they're gay. Right. And he was like, I don't know if I would call it gay. And what he meant is that it's just queer. But a right. lot of people are like, what do you mean by that Neil Gaiman? <laughs> what do you mean um, but that's part of the reason why he had like this explosive kiss moment at the end is because he was like nobody could deny that that happened right he mm -hmm. said that to him the proof that they loved each other was like these dinners that they have and that they say that they trust each other and etc cetera, etc cetera. but for a person watching that especially straight people watching that they don't always pick up on it i don't know how good straight people are with media literacy sometimes because <laughs> i'll watch stuff and that's I'll fair well, I mean, I just mean with stuff like this, obviously, because I no. watched season one and like you, I was like, this is a love story. This is so right. clearly a love story. And then I would watch it with other people. They were like, what good friends? And I'm like, OK, <laughs> absolutely. You know, I think it's interesting, too, when we we have a show on our list that's actually we can look back at the past and compare it in not just one way, but two. And this is Interview with a Vampire, where we had the the 90s film. We had the book. And I remember I have a very formative memory for my sister who's listening, who writes for us. But like, I remember being like seven and she was watching it on television and I was terrified and intrigued. Like, and I didn't know why I was so terrified and intrigued. And then, but again, in that film, it's not like, it's not so like opaque, you know, like it's, it's, it's it, there's hints of it, but cause it's the nineties and it's Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. And like, they, they're just they're just really good friends they live together forever and then i read the book and it's a little more there but it's still like there's just these hints or like the, the flowery language describes it but it's not ever like explicit and then we got this new show and they're like nah they gay like yeah no they have floating vampire sex in the show yeah pretty gay <laughs> you don't come back to watch that. it 
Oh yeah. Um, I will say one thing about the show that I think is really interesting is, and I'm actually kind of glad that they did this. Um, one good thing moving forward is that we're also getting a lot of queer content with people of color instead of just two white people who fall in love, mm -hmm. right? Which is fantastic. Um, but in the original, right, one of the people is a slave owner. Um, and then mm -hmm. in order to sort of explore a different angle, they're like, actually, we're going to make him black and we're going to explore that. And so there is an aspect of their relationship where it's slightly less romantic than it would be actually in the books, because in the later books, it is it does become explicitly romantic. In the first book, it's like, mm -hmm. um, right. but then it gets more, right? Um, where it is also about this very kind of toxic and it kind of turns into an abusive relationship between these mm -hmm. uh, people, right? But I also kind of, and that is part of it, right? That one of them thinks that he understands all the guy's experiences. And it's like, no, you are a white Frenchman. You don't know anything. Um, but something that I think is really interesting about that is that if that show came out a little bit ago, I'd be like, I don't know if this is good queer representation necessarily mm -hmm. because it's, queer rep it's a queer relationship, but it's deeply unhealthy. But now I feel like we're in a climate where we actually can explore really unhealthy queer relationships in a way that's just interesting um and a way that can be really I mean it's a good show it's a great show and I love it um and I don't feel like it's turning to the camera and being like queer relationships bad it's about this dark gothic romance right mm -hmm. which is awesome because I feel like a lot of times straight people get to have really nuanced portrayals of unhealthy relationships and it, it it's obviously not the same because it's not straight relationships are bad. It's just this one particular relationship is complicated, right? Right. And this is a very complicated relationship. And it's one of those ones where I watch it and I let go, yay, we're not arguing gay people bad. It's just about a complicated relationship. A hundred percent. Uday, I would say out of all the list of shows we have in here, if you have one that you're thinking about watching, it should be this one. If you liked uh, Grey Worm in uh, Game of Thrones, he... It's 10 times better in the show. He's, He's so, so good. He's you so think good. I watched Game of Thrones? Fair enough. That's fair. Fair enough. But That's he's fair. Oh my God, he's so good in this. It's, I'm kind of in love with him. It's fantastic. Um, and I keep seeing this one gif on Twitter from Interview with the Vampire that makes me want to watch it. I keep seeing gifs of them kissing or something with the caption, what kind of interview is this? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it is by far one of the best shows that is on television right now, um, hands down. See it. I think it's going to be streaming on, I think, HBO for like a month. Yes. Starting in October. Yes. Because it's on AMC Plus right now, which is great, but nobody has AMC Plus. What is Everyone that? Everyone I know who has it bought it specifically to watch this show. So... <laughs> I have okay, AMC yeah, Plus. I'll wait, I'll you, can, you, you, you can borrow it, Uday. I have a AMC Plus, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh God, I, love I had it. to get it for this show. I had to get it for the Mayfair Witches too, but that's a different, same world, different, you know, series. Um, I guess then, you know, going going back to Red, White, and Royal Blue, because this is the one that we were kind of stemmed from. Um, Uday, you know, what did you, you know, so you, you, we thought it was pretty good. One of the actors you like more than the other, but like, did you see that, that there was like any tropes or any like holes with this? Or like, how did you feel about the representation? Did you feel seen? Did you not? Like what, how was this film for you? I think there were tropes, but not like gay tropes. I think there were just rom-com tropes, yes. but I think that they were still executed well. I mean, obviously you have like the, thing where they break up at the end of the second act and then they need to have the dramatic like reunion but i thought that that was done pretty well i'll say like 
the one thing that I thought was a little bit odd was like the tone of the movie. I feel like it really oscillated between like Disney Channel. Like I, I think the beginning was extremely Disney Channel and not in a good way. Um, and then I think like it got a lot better, like 10 minutes in. Um, but I do think like it was rated R. I feel like I kind of feel like it should have picked a lane. I feel like it didn't do. I was going to say I, I was going to say that I don't think it did enough with the R rating, but I'll disagree with that because I did think that like I, I thought that like, I mean, there, there was a lot of sex in the movie. Right. And what really struck me about Red, White and Royal Blue was, again, just like the scenes in that movie versus even just like straight rom-coms like when Alex and Henry have sex for the first time like you don't even see sex scenes like that in straight rom-coms it's always just like oh someone's going to take off a shirt and then we're going to fade to black and then they'll wake up in bed together right and so I appreciated that red white and royal blue like really went there with that aspect because again that did make it feel a lot more adult than stuff like love Simon and love Victor Although I haven't seen the last two seasons of Love, Victor, maybe it gets really adult in them. Um, but yeah, so I just I, I appreciated that it went there. Um, but yeah, I just I kind of wished it had been like a little bit more like consistent with its tone throughout. Listen, I have nothing bad to say about this film. You will never catch me talking bad about these people or the, this film. I loved this film so much, honestly, but there was some interesting things that I think that it did. And one of them was it made some changes, obviously, because in the book, there's a queen and they made it a king. But I loved this because Stephen Fry is a well-known gay man. And he actually did not come out until he was much older. And so the fact that they changed it to have him in there. And he's also the voice of the principal in Heartstopper, which I think is a really cool connection of having some really great representation in there. Um, but again, Red, White, and Royal Blue did a really good job of just having some really real world situations. You know, people grow up in worlds where their parents aren't supportive or they don't want to see mm -hmm. them or, you know, and this is just amplified by the fact that we're running countries. Um, and there's not a goddamn thing that Prince Henry can ever do wrong. I've decided so. Not a single thing that this man can ever do wrong. I'm so excited no. to see him and that actor in Bottoms tomorrow because I'm sure it's going to be a total 180. But it was great. He oh, yeah. Him. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Um, I was, I'm literally obsessed, obsessed with Nicholas Galazine that I am now going to watch everything he's ever been in because obviously this man is okay. my favorite man in the entire world. Well, I'm also obsessed with him, but I cannot watch everything he's ever been in because he has Purple Hearts and Cinderella on that list. <laughs> and I saw a clip okay, of he was him good in Cinderella. Cinderella. I'm... No, no, I saw a clip of him singing some song in Cinderella. I did not turn the sound on because I was worried for my ears. Um, not because of his singing, because of like whatever the lyrics were going to be. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I will. I'll watch everything he does going forward. But we'll just chalk up two of those 2022 movies to a mistake and ignore them. He really did act that movie like it was Pride and Prejudice, though. I was no, he... I was captivated. Yeah, no, no. Oh like God, every every time I rewatch Red, White, and Royal Blue, I get like, I'm I'm like I'm I'm happier with like what with what Nicholas Galatine did with Prince Henry and then I'm more upset at what the other one did with Alex I will say this and I, I thought they had insane chemistry do you think that they at least worked well together really oh yes yeah they had really good chemistry I just feel like I, I don't I feel like the writing on Alex wasn't great especially compared to the book because now that I'm reading the book he has a an entirely different home life I feel like he has an entirely different personality I feel like in the book he's this really fun mix of like 
manic and cringe and cute and in the movie i feel like cringe overpowers everything else um which is fine but i just i like book alex like way more than movie alex and i don't think it's the actor's fault i think that the writing like screwed him over a little bit on it i think that that is just an adaptational sort of thing because this is one thing i will say that i love the movie um the one thing i will say about the movie as somebody who read the book in like and the book itself was a queer coming of an age experience to read right like I was kind of upset one day so my college roommate handed me like her tattered copy that had gone through every single sad <laughs> person she'd ever met right and so I read it and I was like whoa love is real and it was great um love and I think that um part of it is just when you have such a beloved book by so many people you want to keep as much in there as you can and really honor a lot of it while also you know, the pace of a movie. So it's two hours, but I do feel like parts of it go a little snappy. And I think that's just part of it is just a book adaptation thing. And so I can forgive it that because I love the movie and I love the book. But yeah, some of the changes you mentioned Alex's home life, it's stuff like there is it aren't his parents divorced in the book? They and the are. This is I was fascinated by that choice because I kind of understand making the queen into a king or something like that to be like, this is a different royal family than the one that we have. But also what why is this yeah i i feel like there were um I, again i'm not done with the book i'm about halfway through but i feel like there were too many changes to alex and i feel like that's a common feeling with book to movie adaptations is you can feel like there are too many changes but i mean i knew they cut his sister out of the movie and i was like okay like even that might have been like fine just like condensing her role into like the friend's role um but yeah, then I got to like his parents were divorced and how like he and his sisters like like differing opinions on politics and everything. And I just I feel like the movie stripped away a lot of Alex's nuance, but I feel like it still kept all of Henry's. And so I feel like that's also why I like Henry more in the movie, but I'm kind of liking Alex more in the book. I feel like part of that, though, is because they wanted to focus if when you're stripping this down, you focus on the love story of it, right? Yeah. Um, that, those are the moments you really heavily hit on, which, I mean, first of all, how great is it that there is a movie that was promoted this much that is focuses on a gay love story? I mean, I would open yes. Amazon Prime and every single time it would be at the top. That in itself is fantastic. But I do think that part of it is that when you do something like that, inherently what ends up happening, I mean, the, the scene when they're on like the little deck thing together and Alex is talking, he's like, we can hold hands through Austin. When you don't have some of that character development for him, you just go, this is really tone deaf of you, dude. You're dating well, yeah, the like, of England. Yeah, for example, like, yeah, that <laughs> I line, like I was like- have to worry about that a little yeah, bit. I was like, I was, are you fucking stupid? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, you are the son of the American president. Like, you know that the Prince of England can't just stroll down the street, right? Like, you should know that on paper before you even started dating him. But like- But also, um, the portrayal during that scene and Henry's oh, facial yeah. expression, that That's was- That's the pride so and prejudice. Pride yeah. presence. But speaking of like queer experiences, I feel like that inherent sense of like sadness that you don't get to have something that maybe somebody else can like assume that you have, right? Mm -hmm. But just this realization of there's this thing I could have and I can't actually have it because it's not safe for me or I wouldn't be supported or X, Y, Z. And just like the way that he played that scene really got to me personally because I was like, that just reads so true. Mm -hmm that scene and then also the scene where he says about like both politics and the the kingdom are a prison 
and I will not trade one for, an, for oh the other. God. It's just like, yeah, that hurts. It hurts, but it's so true. Like we've all been in a place where we can't have what we want in a way. And that hurts. I will say that I think that part of this too, and I think that there's actually, I, I read somewhere that part of this was because it was a book that's told from Alex's point of view. So most of the world revolves around him. Yeah. So most of that is cut because you don't have room for that when you look at the essence of the fact that we're looking at the romance and like the, yeah. the story of the two of them. Um, and that they felt that the stepdad was actually redundant. He didn't do anything in the book, which he doesn't really. And so it made just as more sense to have the parents together. Do I disagree with that? No, because I think that there was a lot of a betrayal of uh, he is comes from a broken family in a way who ha that has been healed over he has seen that there is a bad part he has seen that you can find love again he is more optimistic in that and that leads to him being optimistic about him and henry and i don't think you get that in the film because you miss that part yeah i also think that i mean part of the inherentness of red white and royal blue as a as just a book and i think what it's doing right now is it's kind of this great escapism for a lot of queer people where it has homophobia absolutely but they get to run off to each with each other and everyone like the general public is really supportive and i mean mm -hmm. they did what the prince now did before the prince now did it where yes. they ran off and they abdicated and they have their love and it's fantastic and but also just stuff like politically like politically to be queer right now it's kind of scary um yeah. in america obviously we're talking about this from an american western point of view uh, I mean, like I'm part Lebanese where Barbie was just banned for promoting the homosexual agenda, which can try to connect those dots on your own time. But um, yeah. right. But at, at the very least in America right now, the the idea that especially in the book, like a single mother with biracial children, Democrat could win instead of Trump. Right. At that time. Yes. And that th that could then spark off into this like beautiful queer love story that's escapist, right? Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. That is a hopeful look to something that could have been. Um, and I feel like that that is something that is also in the movie, right? In this kind of obvious, there's the realism of it, right? The idea of realistically speaking, if you're a public figure, you can't be doing this. Um, and right. it's, well, if you, you are in an unsupportive family, they will not support you. And all of that rings very true. But then there's also the idea of they still get to keep a lot of what they have, right? Alex's sure. mom gets reelected, all that sort of thing. Um, and I think that's important too, as like a touchstone to both what we actually experience as queer people and then also the, but this is what it could be. You know, it's this nice little hopeful light in the world. And I love that. You know, there's actually a collector's edition of the book and it has an additional chapter told from that's Henry's point of view. Do you? Mm-hmm. And it's uh, five years in the future. And it kind of explains how where they go and where they're coming. And I remember it's so extremely hopeful. And you actually get to see from his eyes that where he wasn't, I'm not going to get into it, but like there's like, <laughs> he's got, he's got hope finally. And so like, I think like, it's the, like, it's the, like what you just said, the whole film is so in the, in the movie is so hope, not film and book is very <laughs> hopeful. And it is 100% escapism. I remember I could not wait to pick up this book. I was reading between clients. I was sometimes late to clients because I got to finish this chapter. Like um, you feel so connected to these characters because you don't have to, you don't have to deal with, you know, some of the harsher realities of that. Yeah. Um, and I really hope that we start to see a pattern of this as we go forward, you know, um, continuing to have just great 
important semi-grade films and movies and books that are just going to represent um, being queer and what in the, the experience of, of what that is. What would you, I guess, is there anything that like you are looking for from future representation or there's like, is there like a story that you're still waiting to see that has not been done yet? And maybe that's a very ambiguous question. Um, I'm just wondering, what are we hoping to see from queer representation in film and video? And we'll start with, uh, with you, Izzy. Oh, with me. Um, I think that, I mean, one of the things that we have um, on this list of stuff that's upcoming, uh, Dante, uh, Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe, very right. formative book for me growing up. Very excited to see that adapted soon. Um, oh, so Our Flag Means Death, Gay Pirate Show second season coming um next month very excited for that but in terms of what types of re uh, of um representation that i really want to see i mean i want to see more where it's queer stories that are not about being queer that it's mm. just it's sci-fi or it's superheroes or it's fantasy and there are queer people and we're getting a lot of that. And this is also just a personal thing. As a person who is a really weird subset of queer myself, I love that we're having stuff of like, here's a gay man, here's a bisexual woman, X, Y, Z. I like to have, I'm excited to see like more, like mm. more underrepresented identities explored. Um, I think will be fantastic. I think Heartstopper is actually doing some of that. They have a, an asexual character yes. uh, in season two, which incredibly exciting about that, right? Um, I think that there's a lot left to explore for a lot of people, and I'm I'm excited to see where that goes. You know, the thing about Heartstoppers, I know we didn't get to talk about it that much, but like the thing about Heartstoppers I that I like is that we have both representation in queerness and in, you know, you know, just like, of the makeup of people you know we have a black lesbian we have a you know we have just a lesbian couple we have a gay man we have a bi man we have you know a transgendered uh black girl you know like we we have so many different like like subsets like it's really hard to not find yourself represented by that show we're like red white mario blue i love it but it's very like it's it's gay man and bi man and but we do, one of them is a man of color, which progress. Sure. Thank God. And we, I, it's only been white people falling in love for so long. <laughs> and we also have a, a trans character in the film too. Granted, they don't talk about it, but in the book, they do talk about it a little bit. Oh, wait, who was that? I forgot about that. It is uh, Alex's bodyguard. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, I love that. I, uh, I forgot about that from the books. That's wonderful. Um, and I, I would agree. Yeah, and in the collector's chapter, you actually find out that uh, she's married to a woman, too. So, like, yeah. power to that. Let's go. Rude, <laughs> um, what do you want to see? Or, like, I mean, we, you know, Izzy brought up Dante and Aristotle, Discovers the Secrets of the Universe coming out. Unfortunately, it's not getting a wide release because I was going to go see it, which is really sad. Mm -hmm. um, but I have the book that I'm going to read, so I'm excited about that one. But, Uday, what do you want to see or what are you hoping to see? Is there some book or something you're hoping to see adapted or a new take on a on an old TV show or an old film that you would like to see done properly? <laughs> um, I don't know so much about that. Uh, I do want to see, like, more adult content because when it comes to books, um, like, Adam Silvera has written, like, really good, like, young, like, gay love books, like... Uh, like they both die at the end. Like I still want to see that adapted, oh, yeah. but, but again, that is still like teenagers and I do want more adult stuff too. Um, and 
So that's something I want to see. And then I also would like to see better mainstream representation in like large, big budget projects. I know that Izzy mentioned like, you know, just having gay people in superhero content. And that's something we didn't really talk about. But, you know, like I'm a, I'm a huge Marvel fan and I feel like the Marvel Netflix TV shows always did, you know, a, a, like I was going to say a better job with representation than the movies, but it's not hard to do a better job when there's zero representation in the movies. Um, sure. And that's something that's really been lost in the shift over to Disney Plus because Disney Plus on Disney Plus, the shows cost $200 million and you need everyone to watch them. Um, so you can't have a major LGBT character. And that's, you know, there, there are rumors like swirling around the WandaVision spinoff Agatha that like Catherine Hahn and Aubrey Plaza are going to be in a relationship or like we're in a relationship in the past. And that's something that I'm really curious to see if a company like Disney can commit to that, because that is the kind of content I would like to see, you know, where the show doesn't need to be about them being like lesbian lovers, but it informs their character dynamic because they were in the past. So like, that's a rumor that I'm really hoping comes to fruition. And I'm hoping that we start to see that kind of representation in blockbuster content instead of, you know, only relying on like these adaptations of like books, really. Right. Because like, I don't well, actually that's another thing. What about like original uh, like LGBT movies? Because I feel like a lot of the uh, like gay content in particular, like with two men, I feel like it's all being adapted from these like young romance books with Love, Simon and with Heartstopper and uh, with Red, White and Royal Blue. Um, and Hulu did have that Hallmark style movie with Kristen Stewart, Happiest Season. Like that was yes. cute. Like, I thought that that was, like, a pretty decent movie. Yeah, um, oh, I did see that. Yeah, so, I mean, like, what what about more content like that that's just original and that we don't need to depend on a book for? Look at me in my eyes. You want, listen, middle-aged queer people in shows, my beloved. Our Flag Means Death, Good Omens, Killing Eve, a lot of the ones, oh, um, Interview with a Vampire, What We Do in the Shadows. They're adults, often they're middle-aged, they're gay. It's great. It's wonderful. And not even just gay in a way that I'm making up, like when I used to watch House and pretend that like Key and Wilson were in love. Like, mm -hmm. like gay, gay. It's great. <laughs> well, I do have Killing Eve pulled up on my computer now ever since we were talking about it. So I think I'll check it out. Don't watch season four. It takes season I will. Four. I need to watch all the no, seasons. No, no, I will this, be watching This is the way you four. watch it. You watch till the end of season three. You take it as an ambiguous ending. And then you just look up them kissing in season four. And you go, I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm going to have to yeah. see what's so bad. It's you know what, what what if Izzy just sent you a really good fanfic that wraps it up for you and you can just read that instead? I, I can't I can't not watch the last I season. Um I'm so sorry for your loss. That's going to happen. Yeah. I I I do think that there are a lot of great media out there. I think there are a lot of uh there's a lot of adaptations coming. Part of me wonders is that fundamentally books are easier to hide so they made books that like people could read in their own space you're not going to a movie theater to see it and so like this is a perpetual problem oh this gets into so i'm an animator and this is a huge thing in animation yes. where there's a lot of queerness that tends to be in animation i mean steven universe that was a big thing stuff like mm -hmm. that but part of it is that it's kind of d detached from reality in a way where for some reason people find it a little bit more acceptable i mean obviously like 
when Marceline and Princess Bubblegum got together in Adventure Time, which loved them so much, um, that's there was outrage about that, of course. But there's also something about the fact that they are these fantastical creatures in an animated world, right? Where mm-hmm. it's you're not seeing two real women kiss each other. And so there's actually a lot of animated queer content because of something like that. And we're, which, listen, I love it. I love all of it. I will defend all of it to my grave. <laughs> um, but I, I think you're onto something there. The idea of, of books or things that don't necessarily have, you're not seeing two real people kiss or get married or be trans or X, Y, Z. It's slightly easier to get away with it. <laughs> right. Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the greatest shows out there in my opinion is legend of Korra, which ends with two women kissing you know and like people were angry about it and in fact yeah. part of me wonders if that was the decision to like dump the last couple seasons because like the last season was actually only on the website they didn't even like air it on television oh my god and again even though it's queer cartoons and that was like a gateway for a lot of people into queer content um stuff like the owl house which you know had a main uh Seth, a couple that was canceled. I mean, we talk, brought up first kill that was canceled too. A lot of a lot of sapphic shows are canceled. Um, <laughs> but a, a lot of uh, queer cartoons have been canceled recently. And I think it's because they were sort of put out, people don't tend to take cartoons seriously. So I think they were slightly more okay with pushing queer content of that earlier. But now that they have are such a big thing, they're starting to take it down mm-hmm. again, which sucks, but absolutely and that, i think that people think that because it's animated it's for children but that's not always yeah. i mean that's why disney and pixar win the oscars every year for best animated film no matter who they're up against right because people are just voting for what they took their kids to see right. uh, not necessarily the stuff that was made for adults which is an entirely separate thing you know to talk right. about um yeah <laughs> second podcast <laughs> second podcast but in terms of, of queerness it is really interesting to look at degrees of separation away from reality even just in terms of when we talked about early queer representation how it would be incredibly camp which listen I love camp but like in a way where queer people were the butt of the joke that itself kind of is a separation from reality and now Mm -hmm. we're getting more and more realistic portrayals right it's easy to have queer people when they are the butt of the joke and it's harder when they are people you are meant to empathize with so I'm glad that that is where we are moving forward and we are getting more and more reality with it even if reality is we are vampires in space it is reality right right you know Uday going back to what you were talking about with Marvel again I know we're getting close on time so I'm gonna we're gonna keep this conversation (laughs) tight you know but (laughs) um not only it you know is the representation in in Marvel not great i mean we've gotten the sprinkle of like is kate bishop and is uh oh my gosh what is her name florence Pugh is her care is the actress um yelena belova are they gonna be together but then we do have we do have billy coming like he is gonna be in agatha played by joe Locke from heartstoppers like we're gonna have that representation um are you worried about that like or do you think it's fine you think that's going to be okay like is that like is that what you're looking for um that would be what i'm looking for i'm still concerned because again i don't think there's any proof that marvel can do lgbt representation well i think you know like fastos and his husband in eternals were great but that was just one kiss it's not a major character like billy who's also rumored to get his own like spin-off show right to me it's it's like dumbledore and harry potter where 
Dumbledore's yeah. gay until you need to make a movie about him, and then it's back to to just never mentioning it. Um, mm. And then when they do, it's like too little, too late. And so that's what I'm worried could happen with Billy, because if they're trying, if Marvel's trying to get back to mass appeal, because I also feel like like three years ago, Marvel would have been okay, like maybe having an LGBT lead character and a little bit like lesser or a little bit smaller appeal show. But now that like a lot of their shows have become smaller appeal and like the franchise is kind of struggling, I feel like they're they'd be more likely to torpedo like that kind of representation uh, and try to get more viewers instead. And again, that's just, that's just my feeling. It's something I'm concerned about because like the Agatha show sounds extremely gay, like on paper, like with the (laughs) cast and like the way that everyone's talking about it. And then all of the rumors that are swirling around about these LGBT characters, but because Marvel Studios couldn't even like give Valkyrie like a girlfriend or like have her talk about a girlfriend in Thor Love and Thunder um, after teasing it since like 2017 with Thor Ragnarok, I don't really have faith in in Disney or Marvel Studios to give us anything of substance. If they can do it, that would make me watch the show. So here's hoping. And with that, I think that we will have to have another talk in the future about more queer representation. I think this could be a couple, this could be every couple of months we could be putting out an episode on this. I just got to convince Lizzie. Um, For always. (laughs) So unfortunately we are running out of time, but we'd love to continue (laughs) the conversation. Check us out on the the cosmiccircus.com or you can find us on Twitter and other social medias at My Cosmic Circus or the Cosmic Circus Podcast Twitter at Cosmic Podcasts. Thank you again so much for tuning in, listeners. My name is Brian Kitson, and you can find me on Twitter at Kitson301. Thank you so much, Izzy and Uday, for joining me. Before we go, can you tell the people where they can find you? My Twitter is between me and God. Um, you can find me on Discord and nowhere else. You heard it here, people. Discord and nowhere else. How about um, you, Uday? You can find me on Twitter at GoldenNinja3000 and Instagram and YouTube. And as always, you can find us all the time on the Cosmic Circus website where we are writing tons of articles and we'd love to have you follow along. So thanks again, everyone. Can't wait for our next trip through the cosmos. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Cosmic Circle, the official cod. <laughs> We're gonna okay. get it. We're gonna get it. All right, is uh, Lizzie cut that out?